Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for your church, for the communion of saints, for all those, uh, Lord, who have gone before us and those who are with us, who continue to bear witness um, to who we are in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for um, the saints who are gathered today and for receiving little Malachi into your family through holy baptism. We pray that as we study your word, we would, each of us, be renewing our baptismal vows of our identity in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to talk a little bit today about being exiles. And um, when I think about being exiled, I think, of course, about my time um, overseas in Thailand and a couple things in particular. I've mentioned these sorts of things before, but um, one was I would use the bus to get around all over the place. Um, You could also get on the back of a motorcycle, um, but you wouldn't get a helmet. And they would just go whipping in between cars and all sorts of things. And so... I didn't do that a whole lot. That was a, a little bit much for my taste. But oftentimes I would take the bus, and when you go to the bus station, I remember going the first time, and when I get there, I look around, and everybody is like this. Like they're in a catcher's crouch, right? Ready to you know, receive the, the pitch from the pitcher. And I'm just kind of standing there, looking around like, okay, I don't see a baseball game happening. <laughs> what, what, what's going on here? And I talked with friends later, and they, they were like, I mean, it was like the, the proverbial asking a fish about water. Like, what else would you do at a bus stop? <laughs> like, it was just so much a part of their, their culture. It was just the, the sort of custom that, that you would do. When you're standing around, you get down into a, a, a crouch. Eventually, I started doing it too. And I'm like, that's kind of comfortable. It's better than just standing up, right? But it, it made me feel like a little bit of an exile. Also, perhaps even more acutely, when I would go to the Pizza Hut, they had a Pizza Hut. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Pizza Hut, this is something that's familiar. I love Thai food. Don't get me wrong. Thai food is awesome. But every once in a while, it's like, I just need to taste America, right? So I go to the Pizza Hut, and <clears throat> I'm, there's the different things you can get on your pizza. And one of them is corn kernels. I'm like, what in the world? And I'll go further than that. At, other, at the ice cream shop, they would put corn on the ice cream, too. And I was like... Okay, I'm, I'm not in Kansas anymore, clearly. <laughs> this is not something we do. Um, eventually, I did try both of those things, the corn on the ice cream and on the pizza. On the pizza, it made more sense than on the ice cream to me, but you, know, you can have sweet corn and so forth. Anyway, that's the way they looked at it. Those were just a couple of things that left me feeling like a little bit of an exile. Uh, so I wonder for you guys, has there ever been a, a moment in your life or a time when you can think about when you felt like an exile, like an outsider, like a, a stranger in a strange land? Yeah, Hans. Going to Germany for the first time. Going to Germany for like, <clears throat> the first time, yeah. And going, to, again, we, we just got off the plane, went to uh, the Berliner Hotel, and they had a Burger King in the basement. Oh, nice, good. And it's like, nice and safe. They didn't speak English. No. Because so, it was, it was, we were in old East Germany. Yeah. And everyone either spoke German or Russian. Right. So I ordered, uh, one, I ordered one large Coke. Yeah. And I got two, what I got was two uh, uh, Diet Cokes. <laughs> <laughs> one, in German, this is two. Yeah. One is that. Oh, interesting. Uh, <clears throat> and two, uh, they heard large and they said, Large is like light. Okay. So Coke light. Yes. <laughs> so I ordered two. There you go. Cokes. Two Diet Cokes. Does that add up to one large regular Coke? I don't know. How about you, Sally? A Yankee kid at a southern school. <laughs> so you went to college down? No, so, or, no. I was in grade school. In grade school. In, in Florida. But back in the 
40s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was in grade school. They were still fighting the Civil War. Oh, interesting. Even in Florida. Sure. But I was a Yankee kid. Yeah. I was going to spend the winter in Florida. Yeah. First, it felt like an exile. Okay, yes, yeah, Sue. I went from a country school. I went to the little country school down here on the flats. And in the seventh grade or eighth grade, I had to go into Frankfurt. Oh, gosh, the big city. And yeah, it was total change. Yeah. Total change. Was the, Halloween, the kids let the water out of the water tower and they started the and the and I'm glad you didn't get involved with any of that. I had never heard of such things. <laughs> <laughs> I saw some other hands, Pat and then Esther. Well, that's even in worship, when Dave and I were in South Africa, mm. um, they would have this group prayer at the end, and you know we didn't know what to expect, and so everybody just prayed out loud, like in their own words. So mm-hmm. it's just this of like talking and yeah. like, it's like, do I do that or not? Right. And then during their songs, like if they have a section where all the grannies sit or the go-go's, which are the grandmas, oh. and they would sit us there because they would translate for us. But then during a song, they get up and they walk around, they kind of dance like, like a march around. Yeah. So they grab my hand. <laughs> 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 they're like marching around during the song. So it was just, wow. it was awkward. It was like, oh, this is really different, but I kind of like it. Yeah, sure. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. All right. Very good. Yeah, Esther. Um, when I went uh, to the World's Fair in Quebec. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, that was a long time ago. I won't ask, but, yeah, that's... <laughs> anyway, got, uh, my sister and my mom and I went in, because my mom always wanted to go to World's Fair. Sure. And so we went, and uh, my sister was driving and got lost in, in Quebec and stop to ask for directions. <laughs> yeah. And they'd only speak French. Right. Yeah. They wouldn't and Yeah. And Too bad. Ask the next one. French. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and we figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> and got to our warm tight in in the mountains. Yeah. Good. They spoke English there. They spoke English there. Yeah, last one, Leslie, go ahead. Well, mine's like two different incidences and unfortunately they involve church. Uh, oh. We had had a snowstorm, and Court wasn't feeling well, and it was a Sunday morning, and I said, why don't I walk to the Presbyterian Church, which was like a couple blocks away, and see what their service is like. I'd never seen one before. Mm-hmm. So we walked in the church. Nobody said hi. I don't remember if I was handed a bulletin or not. Uh, when I left, there was no greeting or anything, and... I asked the pastor a question, and he didn't know the answer to it, and didn't even offer to find out. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what the question was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was just How many like, licks does it take to get to Something like that. <laughs> and then the other one involved a Lutheran church. We were looking for a church closer to home, because at the time we were driving 10 miles. And uh, again, the same thing. We walked in, nobody talked to us. They didn't mm-hmm. seem to care if we were there or not. You know, it was just like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's and so easy to feel in that in those kind of situations. Like you're just, you're the outsider. Right. You're the exile in that strange land. Well, we're going to be talking about that, uh, that feeling, that experience, which is native to us, if I can put it that way, as the people of God, people of faith, in this age. So I invite you to open to Hebrews chapter 11 if you're not already. And uh, two weeks ago when we were last in this, we covered the first three verses of chapter 11. Thankful to uh, Pastor Meyer for filling in, um, taking the Bible study last week. I understand it was really good. So 
Um, we'll get back into Hebrews, picking up at verse 4 of chapter 11. So let me read that first paragraph. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he wasn't found because God had taken him. And before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Okay, so in uh, these first few verses here, this first paragraph, as we're really digging into the so-called hall of faith proper, uh, we see three primeval people of faith, if I can put it that way, righteous people of faith, going back even before the time of Abraham, back before um, time and recorded history as we know it. And three characters are brought out, and each of them, in a way, um, images and foreshadows, anticipates our Lord Jesus himself. We could spend a lot of time with each of them, but let me just briefly touch on, on these three guys. So first of all, you have Abel. And of course, Abel is famous, unfortunately, for what? Being dead. dead. <laughs> Being, <young. laughs> right. Being dead. Uh, but he says, uh, through, we, through uh, which he was commended as righteous, Abel was, and God commending him by accepting his gifts. And though he died, he still speaks. We'll see later in Hebrews how uh, the preacher will say that the blood of Jesus speaks an even better word than the blood of Abel. But that still, his blood speaks. His, his blood cries out to God. So also, and even more so, the blood of our Lord Jesus. Then secondly, you have Enoch. And this is a real deep cut. I mean, the preacher's like, okay, let's get into the genealogies and let's see if we can find anyone there. Enoch is... He, we don't know like almost anything about him except how he died or didn't die, as the case may be. But like Elijah later, he just got swept right up to heaven, just got translated right there. So just keep in mind that can always be an option, right? Uh, God doesn't utilize it very much anymore, but he could if he wanted to, okay? Just going to sweep you right up. But in a way, he foreshadows Jesus because as he ascended into heaven, so our Lord Jesus, of course, goes through the grave first comes back to life in his resurrected body, descended into heaven. And then thirdly, you have Noah. And like Jesus, Noah lived, I'm going to use a fancy Latin phrase for you, contra mundum. And this means against the world. And it was especially applied to the church father, Athanasius. Noah had to basically stand athwart his entire, everybody around him, his entire generation, all the people, um, and just trust recklessly in the God of heaven that, Okay, he's told me to, to build this boat. This is crazy. I'm not seeing any water, but God said to do it. I'll do it. And thus saved his household. Well, how much more our Lord Jesus who lived when all the world was contrary and counter to him. And in doing so, he uh, established for us the ark of the church by which, through which we are able to be saved through the waters of holy baptism as Peter makes that connection in 1 Peter chapter 3. So with each of these three guys, in a way, they are foreshadowing and anticipating Jesus himself. But any questions or things that stand out to you about those three characters or wonderings about them? These are all in the first uh, six or seven chapters of, of Genesis there. Um, uh, Enoch just says that any of us know more. 
because he because God took him basically. Yep. Yep. And it's like I was like, well, did they just lose him like in the shopping mall? Like, right. Oh. Where did Enoch go? Anybody know? He must have been taken up to heaven. Um, we have a hymn that that includes. I'm trying to think. Anybody remember? There's a line about Enoch, and now it's escaping me. Um, like Enoch. No. Okay. It's fine. Not one of the top ones. It's not one of the top ones, I guess. Um, all right. I wanted to draw your attention, though, uh, and especially underscore this verse that he just kind of sneaks in. Verse 6. It says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so I say number three on your handout here that, that faith is, in a sense, the filter for acceptable offerings. That um, when we come before God... We must come by faith, come in faith. Apart from faith, it's, uh, I mean, it's an insult to, to come to God, not believing that he exists. And of course, it also feels like a little bit of a contradiction in terms. If you don't believe in God, you're not going to come to him, uh, but neither are you able to please him. It's this kind of filter that um, if we are not in faith, then even the things that might be do the greatest good in this life, and that's not to say that they can't be blessing to our neighbors, but they're not availing before heaven. They're not regarded as good works before God's throne. To give you just a couple of verses along this line, Titus 1.15 says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So that the heart, it's out of the, the heart that Jesus says, flow all sorts of, of immorality but also out of the heart, a heart that's been made righteous by faith, now flows forth good things. And uh, that, it's that filter that faith makes that affects one or the other. Similarly, Romans 14, 23 says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now there's a, it's a broad brush, right? Whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Now this is the sort of thing that can really... Um, leave us feeling uh, just a, a sense of, of cramped or if you focus too much on your motivations. Like, am I doing something perfectly from faith or is it have sin in it? Is it tainted by sin because my heart's kind of divided and I want to do this because it's good for God, but also because, well, maybe it'll bring a little praise to me or whatever. And so you can get into that position where, well, I shared this phrase with the kids last week at the youth retreat and they thought I was very strange and you will too. I said you can get spiritually constipated. <laughs> where you just become so worried about, oh, what are my motives? Are they right? Are they pure? And the answer is always, no, they're never perfect. In this life, your motives are never perfect. Okay, so then does that mean that we should just sit back, cry and weep until the day when our Lord comes again and there's just nothing we can do? What's the solution knowing that we always have these mixed motives? How can we go forth then? And, and live faithfully without becoming spiritually constipated. What What are your thoughts, or how do we how do we navigate that difficulty? Yeah, so, uh, yeah question though. Yeah. Would you say that uh, if our motives are mixed, is our understanding also not complete? Okay. You know, like people say, like to, for the uh, Eucharist, you know, yep. you have to believe these things. Yep. You know, and I and I guess I would propose that. You can't believe these things, but your understanding is, I don't really sure. fully understand right. what is going on. I mean, yes. I've been told what's going on there. I don't quite comprehend it right. because it's otherworldly. It right. doesn't make sense. So my understanding is not complete. Yeah, so I would say both of those things 
are um, just ramifications from the fact that we are still um, finite human beings, that we still are simultaneously saint and sinner. And so we're never going to have, on the one hand, we're never going to have the perfect understanding, but also insofar as we still carry about that old sinful nature, we're never going to have perfectly pure motives. And so I think that those uh, very much kind of overlap. Yeah, David and then Bob. Well, to prevent the spiritual constipation, <laughs> perhaps just faith and forgiveness, mm -hmm. that, you know, if you use that as your, yeah. you know, in the forefront. That's your, your, your guiding star. I'm forgiven. Right. You know, despite myself. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, the question I want to go back, and I think it's applying to this, it says, unless you believe God exists, is it is it generic like he's an ontological reality, or is it this God exists? In right. other words, a God like this one exists, right. who invites us to come as we are, and we have no choice but to come exactly. As, I mean, that's pure faith. I have to come as I am, recognizing my brokenness, but that's not my entree. It's this God is yeah. my entree. Yeah. And so is that what he's kind of? It's to know this God exists, yeah. which is different from any other God. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, to know the, the God who receives us gratuitously uh, without us coming on our merits and our basis, which was, would have been the very common view for, for many of the, of the Greeks. Yeah, Becky. Which fits in with Enoch because it's in yeah. 611 yeah. in oh. the way that Enoch trod. Chief of sinners, though I be. Chief of sinners, though I be. Thank you for with, tracking that down. Goes with Bob's. Yeah, <laughs> yep. We come as chief of sinners. We come confident in forgiveness. This is where also I think we can fit in a, a, a commonly misquoted and, and controversial quote from Martin Luther. Um, when he was uh, writing to his good buddy, Philip Melanchthon, mm -hmm. and uh, Philip, and this is a review for Jake, we talked about this last week at, our, uh, at the youth retreat, but um, Philip Melanchthon was one of these where he was very punctilious in his practice of the faith. He could get very concerned about his morality. He believed in the gospel and the Reformation teachings, of course, but still he had this lingering sense of, of just, I need to be very moral in order to be acceptable to God. It was still just hanging around like any of us can, can have. And so there's this great letter that Luther writes to Philip, counseling him, encouraging him, exhorting him, and saying, Philip, if you are a preacher of grace, then let it be a true and not a counterfeit grace, right? If Jesus is, is real, if his sacrifice is real, then he, he died for real and not imaginary sinners, he says. And then this line that taken out of context can be really scandalizing. He says, and so be a sinner and sin boldly and hold fast and rejoice in Christ more boldly still. Um, it was kind of dangerous that I brought that up to 15 and 16-year-olds because they're like, thanks, we can stop right here. That's all I needed. Yeah, that's right, we're Jacob's well. Uh, but it's that confidence. Luther's point was, listen, don't become so focused on inwardly focused. It's just going to leave you paralyzed. But instead, look to Christ. Yeah, you're a sinner. You're going to sin. But it's not, the life of faith is not one of sin management. The life of faith is receiving and trusting in Christ, uh, believing in his mercy and his love that avails for us. Come on, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. So when our faith is weak, we can just ask him for more faith. Right. I believe. Help my unbelief. Yes. That's exactly right. And so we go forward in that confidence. Lord, 
I believe, help my unbelief. You know my heart is mixed, but I desire to serve you and to serve my neighbor. Yeah, Esther. And what always gives me confidence is in, in um, I forget, Ephesians or Philippians, um, for it's God who works in yes. you, both the will and to act according to his purpose. Yeah. And so when we don't know what our motives are, we ask yep. God to purify them. Yep. And you work in me yes. according to your will. And, you know, yeah. help me to trust. Absolutely. I mean, to quote uh, uh, another hymn, take my life and let it be. Yeah. Consecrated Lord to thee. You know, we're just handing over. Take the wheel, Jesus. <laughs> Let him drive. We'll ride shotgun. So that's the, that's the life of faith. And as the preacher goes on then, he, he <coughs> further unfolds this now, turning to Abraham and Sarah, the consummate sojourners of faith. So picking up them with verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Mm. So much good stuff here. Abraham is this sojourner of faith. They both foreshadow Jesus as sojourners in this present age. And, uh, well, a couple things. Anybody remember how old Abraham was when he set out in faith? 75 years old. 75 years old. But is that the same like, age? Like, I know. I knew you were going to say that, Chip. Like, right. You know, yeah. Like, like 25 today is like, you know, 30 back then. Right, right. Was it like dog years? Chip's question is a very perceptive, astute question. And uh, I would say not exactly. To be sure, people lived longer. Uh, but at the very least, we're talking midlife. I forget exactly how old Abraham lived to be. Looking at you, Bob. 120. Bob was not there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's close. Wow, wow. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but suffice it to say, Abraham, I mean, he, they were past child-rearing years, right? All these promises that, that God gives to them. And my mind goes to a, a couple of things. I listened uh, to an interview recently with the daughter of Stephen Covey. Remember Stephen Covey, the um, Seven Habits guy? Mm -hmm. uh, he, his last book that he wrote that came out, I think, after he died, was called Living in Crescendo. And he was a man of faith, and he had this idea that, like, no matter when we live, what season of life that we're in, we are still living in, in this crescendo. Um, what's the opposite of crescendo? Diminuendo. Decrescendo. Decrescendo. Diminuendo. That's what it is. Diminuendo. Um, and the sense that like, you never know what God has before you at whatever age. Um, that's not to say that at, at, at any time there's also going to be an outro for us and to do that gracefully as well. But I think that there's something about recognizing that in the life of faith, the sojourn of faith, you don't know what the Lord has in store for you and what's, what's ahead of you, the crescendos that might still be there. Mm -hmm. And in our own congregation,